Well, good morning. Okay, I also want to say just a huge word of thanks to each of you for last weekend. It was such a, a warm welcome. It was really inviting for each of us as a family. It is such a really good gift to us. So thank you so much for all the time, effort, and energy, and personal warmth that you poured into last weekend. It was a great way to start. I also have to say, I'm really looking forward to next weekend when we have a baptismal, baptismal service. They're one of my favorite services, just to see people boldly declaring their commitment to Jesus to walk through life with him. It's a really good gift. And if you are here and you believe in Jesus and you haven't yet been baptized, I'd like to really encourage you to prayerfully consider this week if God might be inviting you to take that step. Again, baptism isn't for us when we have everything figured out. It doesn't mean that we're at a place of utter perfection. It simply means that we're saying we know Jesus, we want to walk with him, we want to follow him, and we're publicly committing our lives to him for whatever the journey might look like. And so again, if you're a believer in Jesus and not yet baptized, I'd like to encourage you, just reach out to us at the office this week. We'd love to connect with you and see if we can uh, slide you in for one of the services next week. It's going to be a really good celebration of God's presence with us. And this morning, I want to talk to you a bit about expectations. Because have you ever noticed what we expect in life so often impacts our experience of things as well? I remember a number of years ago, uh, Maria and I were going out to a particular event, and I looked at Maria before we went, and I just said, I don't want to go. I never have a good time with this. This is going to be painful. It's going to be difficult. I'm not going to like it. It's not going to be any fun. This is going to be awful. And Maria looked at me, and with a bit of snark in her voice, replied to me saying, with that attitude, it's going to be awful. And again, I recognized if I changed my attitude, it certainly would help and shift my experience. Again, I've also been grateful for various points in my life when people gave me the heads up that certain things were going to be difficult. For example, before our children were born, before I ever got into that delivery room, I was so glad that people had prepared me really well to know that this was going to be painful and hard and exhausting and you just need to walk it through and everything will be fine because then I knew what to expect. I knew how to walk that out. But this morning, I really want to talk about our expectations of God. Again, what do we expect from Him? Again, if you've ever felt disappointed with God, or bitter with God, or frustrated with Him, if you've ever felt like you can't, you're not really sure that you can trust Him, again, in those situations, it shows that we have had certain expectations of who He is that we feel like they haven't been met. And today we're going to dive back into our series on Mark, and we're looking at a passage where Jesus clarifies our expectations of him and our expectations to some extent of how life is meant to go. Let's pray together as we dive in. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. We thank you that you are leading us towards life in all things. We thank you that you are clear and honest with us. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would breathe your life into this room and this place. You would anoint the words that I say and you would minister them clearly to our hearts that we might see you rightly. Would you bring a fresh breath of your presence into our souls and make us more like you as we navigate this day? We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you remember a few weeks ago when we were last in our series on Mark, we were looking at uh, chapter 8, uh, verses 22 to 30. And in that passage, we were looking at this healing where Jesus heals a man's sight over a couple of different steps. And we talked about the idea that God will often or sometimes minister to us his, his healing, his goodness, over the course of a couple of steps. And at the end of that passage, there's this really epic conversation that takes place between Jesus and the disciples. Jesus looks at them, they've been walking with him for some time, and he says to them, who do you say that I am? Who do you believe me to be? And Peter comes back boldly and strongly and says, you are the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the anointed one of God. 
And as he says this, it begins to shift all kinds of different things. And Jesus says to them, I don't want you to tell anybody about this. I want you just to continue to move forward. And then in our passage today, Jesus begins to clarify for the disciples, what does this mean that he is the Christ? What does this mean that he's the Messiah? So let's pick this up in Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. He, Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. Now, this is really interesting because when we read this passage, this is exactly what we expect. We're really familiar with this idea. It makes perfect sense to us. The Messiah would come, he would suffer, he would die, he would be rejected, and through his suffering, God would bring about a deep redemptive work that Jesus would take upon himself all the weight of our sin and the brokenness of all that happens and die for it so that we could be brought back into right relationship with God and live as his children as we were always intended to be. We're really familiar with this. This is what we expect Jesus to say. But Jesus says that he's very plain and he's very clear on this with the disciples because this is not what the disciples expect to hear. This is not what they're looking for. The disciples had grown up in an environment where they heard all the stories and all the prophecies from the Old Testament of this Messiah who would come, this great and this glorious Redeemer, the anointed one of God who would be a king like David and would usher in a season of peace and hope and fullness, the glory and the kingdom of God coming here on earth. And as the disciples read that and heard those words, they interpreted it through their own particular circumstance. Because when Jesus says this to the disciples, they're currently living under Roman occupation. Rome was marched in a long time before. They've overcome the people completely. They brought their own language and culture and religion. They are harsh and they are cruel in the way that they inflict the law upon them. It's a really intense system of taxation, really crippling the people and forcing them into subjugation to the Roman Empire. And they were so cruel that they wanted to make sure that no one ever rose up against them. And so what they would do if they ever found someone that was rising up against the empire, they would take that person. They would confiscate all of that person's property, including the clothing that they were wearing. Their family would be left with nothing. Then they would force this person publicly to carry the instrument of their death through the public sphere. Then they would nail them up onto something, some kind of wood or a tree or something in particular, and everyone walking by would watch them for days slowly suffocate to death. And then by law, no one was allowed to publicly mourn them. They invented this, the most cruel and the most horrific way to kill someone they possibly could to make sure that if anyone saw this, they would say, I'm never rising up against the state. I'm never going to push back against Rome. And can you imagine living under that kind of cruelty, under that kind of pressure, under that kind of occupation? And so it makes sense that the disciples' expectation of Jesus was that Jesus would come and he would raise up a mighty army, that they would throw the Romans out, that they would end all the horror of this occupation, and that he would bring in the kingdom of God in glory and in might and in power. What the disciples are expecting of Jesus is success and victory and authority and power and the rule and dominion that looks like King David, with a king sitting on the throne in Jerusalem and the nations coming to worship. This is what they expect of the Messiah. This is what they're looking for. And so when Jesus comes to them and Jesus says, the Son of Man must suffer and be rejected by the elders and those in authority, he will be killed and after three days rise again, this would have been shocking for them. This is not what they expect. And so naturally, there's a a point of tension here between Jesus and the disciples. 
And we see this in Peter, often the boldest one of the disciples. We read, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. And the word for rebuke here is a really intense and a harsh word. It's the same word that Mark uses in other places when Jesus and the disciples are casting out evil spirits. They are rebuking them and casting them out. And so Peter is forcefully correcting Jesus. Can you imagine how this conversation would have gone? Peter comes to Jesus and says to him, Jesus, you have to stop talking like this. This is not true. This is not what the Messiah does. This is not how things are going to go. If you keep talking like this, bad things will happen. This is not God's will. This is not how things are supposed to go. The Messiah is successful and victorious, overcoming all oppression. This is what's supposed to be. And so in the middle of this intense and harsh conversation, we read, but when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter Get behind me, Satan, he said. You, have in mind, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. You see, Jesus looks around at this group of disciples, and he knows that they fundamentally misunderstand the expectation of what Jesus is about to do. Jesus recognizes that all that they can see are is things from an earthly and a human perspective. They're expecting glory and victory and power and authority right here and right now. They expect Jesus will raise up an army and conquer and push out this Roman oppressor. When Jesus is saying to them, I have something so much bigger in mind. I have expectations beyond your wildest dreams. Jesus is saying, I will tear down the evil, and ruler, the evil rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. I will end all oppression for all time in all spaces and everywhere throughout the whole cosmos. Throughout all of the universe, my reign will be supreme. The disciples are saying to Jesus, we want you to lead us to a place of power and authority here on earth, right here and right now. And Jesus says to them, I will seat you with me in heavenly places to rule and reign for all of eternity. You see, the expectations that they had were just very different. And Jesus says to them, I will bring victory, I will bring success, but it will come through what looks like utter and complete failure. You see, the disciples would have seen throughout the course of their lifetime many other people who rose up against the state, who were taken and who were crucified, suffered and died, and that was absolutely the end. And Jesus says to them, what you are expecting is not accurate. I want to show you the truth of what will be. And as we read this, it, we just feel frustrated with the disciples. We just think, guys, why don't you get it? Why don't you understand? Jesus keeps explaining this to you. He will suffer and he will die. Don't you know Isaiah 53? This is how things are supposed to go. But then I wonder, how often do I and how often do you misunderstand God? How often are our expectations of who he is also misshaped by our culture and by our experience? How often, for example, do we sing amazing songs like we sang this morning where we recognize that the battle isn't ours, the battle is God, and how often do we interpret that to mean that God will make everything come out exactly the way that we want it to be? How often do we imagine that the rule and the victory of God over life and over all things means that we should never have to suffer, that we should never have to go through anything hard or painful or frustrating or difficult? How often do we misunderstand God and have a false sense of expectation of for, how, for how things ought to be? You see, the thing is that God never minimizes our pain. God never pretends that it doesn't matter. But he also wants us to be aware of how things truly are. 
You see, God is aware of the fact that evil is constantly working to try and convince us that if we suffer or if we endure hardship or if things don't go the way that we want, somehow this means that God is not loving or God is not powerful, that God is not present or He's not working in our midst. And Jesus cares too much about us. And so Jesus wants to be remarkably clear. And He says to me and He says to you, this is how things are. The road to success and glory and authority and victory sometimes looks to everyone else around us exactly like utter and complete defeat. Sometimes there's moments of pain and hardship and suffering. And when these expectations collide, sometimes they show us about what's going on in the depths of our souls. Sometimes they reveal to us that there may be particular things that we have elevated to a more important place than God. For example, if I'm offended with God, that He doesn't make things come out the way that I want, it means that there's some part of my experience that I value more than Him. For example, maybe you and I are willing to joyfully follow God and do everything that He asks as long as He makes everything come out the way that we want it to be, or as long as we understand why things might be hard. Maybe we're willing to follow God passionately and freely as long as it doesn't cost us anything, as long as it doesn't damage our reputation or what other people think about us as long as we still get to fulfill the dreams that we have in our heart, or as long as our family always feels safe and fully protected. Maybe we have an uncertain level of expectation. Maybe there's areas of our soul where we're holding things back from God and we are unwilling to fully surrender them to Him. And so when push comes to shove and the hardness of life meets our circumstances and we're no longer safe or comfortable or sure, do we turn on God in those moments? Because if we do, it may be revealing something in our soul that maybe there's something we value more than Him. And again, Jesus loves us more deeply than we can ever know. Jesus is powerfully, passionately, fully invested in you and I, making it safely and thoroughly all the way through to the very end. And so Jesus chooses to be remarkably clear with us. Our passage goes on and continues. Then Jesus called a crowd around him with his disciples, and he said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Again, this is a really gracious gift. Jesus is saying to us, this is just how life works. Jesus isn't like a sleazy used car salesman saying, this thing is going to be great, knowing that it's a lemon. Jesus says, I want you to come in knowing exactly what this is going to look like. I don't want you to have any unhealthy sense of expectation so that you're not thrown when difficulty comes. I want you to understand that if you are going to follow me, there will be times when you need to deny yourself. There will be times where you need to set aside the things that you desperately long for and desire. There will be times where you need to put someone else's interests before your own. There will be so many times where you need to put the interests of the kingdom of God ahead of your own personal desires. This is the truth. And when we read the phrase, take up your cross and follow me, we see beautiful pictures of Easter. But this first audience, when they heard those words, they would have seen images of torture and degradation and oppression and someone who is on their way to a terrifying death of suffocating over the course of days in front of so many different people. And what Jesus is saying to us is that we, if we choose to follow him, we are setting aside every right. We are surrendering to him our need for comfort or dignity or security or all of our ambitions being met. We are setting every single part of who we are down before him as a secondary interest. And we are saying, Jesus, you are the primary thing that we long for. We are willing to follow you anywhere. 
There is no limit to how far we will go. And this is the challenge for us. Because Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, life will throw all kinds of things your way. And if you have some things that you're elevating above and over me, when push comes to shove, what will you choose? He's saying, this is how life works. And so be prepared for the fact there will be denial. There will be moments where you need to lay down the things that maybe you want most of all to choose the kingdom of God. Now, I want to be clear, this doesn't mean, as it sometimes has been interpreted, that we need to die to really good desires that God has placed within our souls. But it does mean that every desire and every ambition and every part of our personality and every hope and every dream needs to be made subject to Jesus, where we are willing to allow Him to change and to shape and to work and to do whatever He wants to do, and where we are willing to walk with Him no matter what life throws our way, to pursue Him faithfully even when it's painful and even when it's hard. And this doesn't mean that we don't cry out to God in pain and agony when things are hard and when things are difficult, because the very best thing that we can do in the midst of uncertainty is to go directly to God and say, Lord, this is how I feel, and to accurately and authentically and clearly grieve the losses that we are experiencing, because if we don't do that, it comes out in really unhealthy ways. But it does also mean that when we find hardship and pain and difficulty and danger, we are not shocked. We are not scandalized and we are not surprised because we simply choose to trust Jesus with these things. And again, when we face hardship, we pursue Jesus and we ask for his victory, we ask for the fullness of his kingdom to come in the here and now, but we also hold all of these things open to him. We pray with strength and the authority that Jesus has taught us to pray for healing and for fullness and for life to come, but we also hold everything open and into his hands, trusting him that he sees the full cosmic picture and we can only see this part of the story. And then Jesus goes on to remind us that even though this is sometimes painful and difficult, it is truly always worth it to pursue him and to walk with him. Jesus goes on to say, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in the Father's glory with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I tell you, some of you who are standing here will not taste death before you see the kingdom of God come with power. When Jesus says these words, Jesus is not making a threat. Jesus isn't threatening us, saying, if you don't do this, you will die. Jesus is simply explaining to us, this is what life is really like. The truth of the matter is, if we live life for our own glory and for our own ambition, if we live our life trying to be comfortable and secure and hold everything as tightly as we possibly can to ourselves, if we make our lives about us, we will die. We will lose this life. Even if you were to be more successful than anyone in human history and you were to gain the entire world, if you forfeited your soul, it wouldn't be worth it. Jesus is saying, why would you choose to live for glory or strength or wealth or power or influence or a reputation that will last at most a hundred years and then you will die and it will be gone? Why would you choose to live for those things when you could live for something that will last forever? We can embrace the fullness of life with him that will never, ever end. 
because this is how life works. When we try and hold it all and stuff it all in for ourselves, it produces anxiety and fear. It produces emptiness and a deep sense of lack because the things of this world will never be enough to satisfy the depths of our souls. And we will simply disintegrate from the inside out. But Jesus says, if we choose to live for him, if we lay down our life in utter and complete surrender to him, we will live. Because even with struggle, even with difficulty, even with the pain that may come with those things, it still produces hope and joy and peace and life and meaning like we sang about a few minutes ago. And in the fullness of the scope of all of eternity, it will make so much sense. We will see that the things of this world that seem to be so consuming and overwhelming and so big and so tempting were just so small and so very short-lived. And from the standpoint of eternity, all of this will make sense. We will understand why there was so much suffering and pain and difficulty, why things were so very hard, where here and now it just doesn't make any sense to us. And in the fullness of time, God will bring everything about in the way that it ought to be. And so Jesus says to us, don't live for things that can't last. Don't try and hold on to your life in such a way that you will lose it. Choose to give your life freely to Jesus so that you will live now and for the fullness of all of eternity. And so what are your expectations of God? As you sit here, what do you expect him to do? Are you holding on, grasping onto this idea that because you have committed your life to Jesus and because of the things that you're engaged with, Jesus owes you and he is responsible to make everything come out exactly the way that you want it to be? Or are you embracing the truth that we give our lives fully to Jesus and he gives his life fully to us and we let go of complete control and we say to Jesus, there's nothing that I will not do, there's no path I won't walk with you, there's no sacrifice that would be too great, I'm willing to do whatever you want. I remember in March of 2020, we had just done our first elders board meeting by Zoom and it was agonizing and awkward. I remember afterwards just sitting down and feeling God's invitation to just wait. And in those moments, I felt the presence of Jesus roll out to me a bit of what the upcoming years would look like. And his explanation, this season will be painful and this season will be costly. There will be tension and destruction, there will be hurt, there will be betrayal, there will be all kinds of things that will be said and done. This is the path that I've chosen, and I trust you to walk this thing through. I remember in those moments thinking, Jesus, this isn't what I want, and this isn't what I expect. Because for our church that, at that time, as for your church and for so many of us, we were seeing God doing such amazing things. And there was so much momentum and so much movement, and we expected that God would just continue to move things forward in the way that we hoped and longed for and dreamed of. And then Jesus says, this isn't how it's going to go. And again, for so many of us, we have been through various different things and various different moments of hardship and pain and uncertainty. And I would never want to minimize any of what you've walked through. Because some of the pain that you carry today is astronomical and it's overwhelming. And Jesus never asks us to minimize the pain. He simply asks us to walk through the pain with him and to continue to trust him no matter what things look like. 
to believe the truth that he is victorious and he will ultimately be victorious over all the pain and the oppression, the uncertainty, the darkness, the wickedness of all of the world. And that it is always worth it to pursue him no matter what it costs along the way. And so today, what are your expectations of God? Are there particular places that you were holding back from him? Are you saying to Jesus, Jesus, you can have absolutely everything, but you can't have my family, or you can't have my health, or you can't have my dreams, or my ambitions, or you can't have what other people think of me? Whatever we hold out from the presence of God, it gets separated from life. And so he would challenge us to offer him fully and freely every part of who we are. And today, are there places where you are offended with God? Are there places where you are bitter or angry or resentful towards God? Are there places where you've decided you just really can't trust Him anymore because of some particular moment of pain or darkness or hurt in your life or the life of somebody else around you? Again, Jesus invites us to bring Him all the fullness of these things. And so let's just take a moment. Let's just evaluate with God what are our expectations of Him and what might need to be set right. And so first I want to encourage you just to ask God, Lord, is there any place where I am offended with you? And he may bring to mind a particular memory of something hard or painful or difficult. So just ask him, Lord, is there any place where I am offended with you? And see what he says. Whatever comes to mind, just talk to him honestly about that. How do you feel about that experience? What does that look like for you? And then to the extent that you're able, I want you to hand that experience over to Jesus. And if you can, just say, Jesus, I trust you with this. Would you heal my heart and my expectations? And then to the extent that you're able to authentically and honestly say it, I encourage you to ask God for his forgiveness for the ways that you have felt offended with him, for any way that you feel bitter or frustrated with him, for any choices that you've made not to trust him. I encourage you to ask for his forgiveness for that to the extent that you can honestly do that. And then just ask him, Lord, is there anything that I'm holding back from you? And if you find that you feel afraid or you feel bitter at the idea of having to give those things over, it's a really good indication you're probably holding those things back from him. So just ask him, Lord, is there anything I'm holding back from you? And then to the extent that you are able, I want you to offer those things to him and say, Jesus, would you take this? Help me to release it to you.
Father, we thank you that your intention for each one of us is life. Your intention for each one of us is life abundant into the very full. And you recognize how all of the intensity and the loss and the pain and the uncertainty that we have all been through has cost each one of us so much. And in your grace and your mercy, you are clear with us. You don't want us to be shocked by these things. You don't want us to be pulled away from you by these things. And so, Jesus, we ask you to help us to process these things well. We recognize in and of ourselves we can never do this. And so we offer these things to you and we ask for your healing. We ask that your spirit would breathe life into all these places where we are broken and wounded, where we've been damaged by the experiences that life has thrown our way. Would your own breath bring healing into those places? And Lord, where we are so tightly holding on to control, would you grant us the grace to release all of these things to you and to entrust them fully into your hands? Because we know that we can trust you. We know that you are gracious and compassionate. You love us more than we can ever know. And you are the ultimate trustworthy one. And so we give you everything. But we know that your desire for us today is that we would experience a deeper level of freedom that we would be able to walk out of this room feeling liberated from the weight of the offense and the bitterness and the anger that we have carried towards you and towards life. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would lift these burdens from our shoulders. You would help us to walk out of this place a people who are changed, that there would be a new kind of lightness and hope and joy in our souls and our being as we move forward. We offer these things into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, this morning, I recognize that for many of us, when you start to process some of the places that you're hurt, it's just a lot. And so I'd encourage you, if you'd like to, and if it would be helpful, there'd be a number, a number of people down here at the front who would love to pray with you following the service and just continue the journey that Jesus is leading you on. And also this morning, I want to encourage you as you go to just leave the room with a sense of openness and expectation because there may be someone that Jesus wants you to engage with, maybe someone that he wants you to have a conversation with. Maybe something from your story can bring hope or healing into their life. So I want you just to go into the foyer, and as you go, just go with a sense of openness to see what Jesus might want to do or say in you or through you. As we go into this week, let's go, and let's make Jesus known. Amen.